Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is the Tom Hartman Program. And greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. There's a bunch of stuff that I want to get to here, reaching all the way back to 1933 and what the House Republicans are doing right now. And But I want to start with banning books. This is an amazing piece. Media Matters for America, mediamatters.org is their website. They do some just absolutely incredible research. And one of the leading organizations, it appears, from based on what I'm seeing over on their website, in, in favor of banning books in our schools is this group called Moms for Liberty. And uh, let me just share some pieces of this. This is Olivia Little writing for MediaMatters.org. The headline over at MediaMatters.org, banning books about Martin Luther King Jr. and opposing school district desegregation efforts inside Moms for Liberty's deep ties to the anti-civil rights movement. So this group has, in recent days, apparently, removed some of their past from their website. And... I think this is like consequential stuff, you know, stuff we should be paying attention to. There was a June article in the far-right Epic Times reporting that the uh, Deskovich, Deskovich is the uh, uh, co-founder of Moms for Liberty, Tina Deskovich. The Desco- quote, Deskovich believes that CRT, critical race theory, is divisive, denies the value of an individual based on the content of their character and their actions. Uh, the group's official social media page, according to Media Matters, included hashtag stop CRT as recently as October 14th. So a month ago, they were you know, taking these positions. As of June 13th, they had, a, they had a page up on their website titled Help Moms for Liberty Stop Critical Race Theory. They have since deleted that page. They even tried to get solicit donations based on this. Donate here to help us fight critical race theory. That is gone. They have chapters around the country. They're broken down by counties. In Williamson uh, County, Tennessee, the chapter hosted CRT 101, Critical Race Theory 101, inviting speakers to repudiate critical race theory. Robin Steenman, I'm reading now from Media Matters for America, head of the Williamson County Moms for Liberty chapter, vocally opposes critical race theory, saying critical race theory, this is a quote, critical race theory claims to solve racial discrimination by promoting racial discrimination. 
she continues that it is destructive and divisive. Now, this is the same county chapter that had a list of books of concern that included um, Martin Luther King Jr. and the March on Washington, uh, the March to Washington, because of quote photographs of political violence, and uh, another book, Ruby Bridges Goes to School. Ruby Bridges, you'll recall, is uh, was a young woman back in the day. She's still alive, I believe. She's in her 90s now, um, uh, maybe maybe younger than that. Who was you know the first young black child to integrate a school? Ruby Bridges Goes to School. And they want to ban that book because of racist remarks in it, of course, made by white people. The group also disapproved of First Nations of North America, Plains Indians, because it, quote, paints white people in a negative light. We're not supposed to acknowledge our history? Apparently not. And here's where it gets even weirder. Nationally, again, this, uh, this is from this Media Matters piece. Nationally, Mo Moms for Liberty recommends a book called The Making of America by W. Cleon Skousen. They say this is a helpful text when discussing the founding documents of the United States. So what's in this book that Moms for Liberty is apparently recommending? Well, he makes the argument that, quote, slavery is not a racial problem. In the history of the world, neither, nearly every nation has had slaves. The Chinese kept thousands of slaves. Babylon boasted of slaves from a dozen different countries. The dark-skinned Hittites, Phoenicians, and Egyptians had white slaves. The Moors had black slaves. America had black slaves. The Nazis had white slaves. The Soviets still do, with several million white slaves wearing out their starved, near-naked bodies in slave labor camps. So the emancipation of human beings from slavery is an ongoing struggle. Slavery is not a racial problem. It is a human problem. Well, it is a human problem. But in the United States, as a result of laws passed in Virginia in the period from the 1630s uh, right up through the end of the, of the 17th century, slavery and race, and race became essentially the same thing. And this is the history book that Moms for Liberty likes. Skousen, the, this, this is also from the book, calling slave owners people who enslaved other human beings, quote, the worst victims of slavery, writing, quote, in some ways the economic system of slavery chained the slave owners almost as much as the slaves. Really? You force somebody to work at free labor and you are in bondage? Skousen, the author of this book that Moms for Liberty is promoting, was a supporter of the John Birch Society that claimed, quote, African-American freedom movement is being manipulated from Moscow with the goal of creating a Soviet Negro Republic in the southern United States, end quote. The author of this book also has claimed that there is a global cabal of bankers control the world from behind the scenes and communists are taking over local PTAs. He also believed, quote, the civil rights movement, acceptance of homosexuality, the rise of abstract art and modernism, and the advent of Medicare, Social Security, and other social safety net programs have all been part of a clandestine plot waged by communists or other dark forces to destroy the United States. Thanks a lot, Moms for Liberty. You wonder where this stuff is coming from? It's always been here. 
We've always had crazies in this country and racists in this country promoting this kind of stuff. I think the, you know, the larger issue is why are we ignoring that? Why do we want to ignore our past? I'll tell you a country that is not ignoring its past right now, Germany. I was reading, during the break, I was reading the New York Times from March 20th, 1933. It just happened, it was sitting in the back room. I went, you know, I went back to grab a cup of coffee and there it was. New York Times, New York, Monday, March 20th, 1933. Now, keep in mind, 1933, Hitler had just taken power. This is March 20, 1933. My recollection is that the uh, burning of the Reichstag was, well, I, I could be wrong. So, it, it, But it was very recent. The headline, German fugitives tell of atrocities at hands of Nazis. Keep in mind, 1933. Paris, March 19. Americans are arriving here from Germany, expressing more and more concern over the course of events in that country. Neither the full truth about them nor the implications arising therefrom are reaching the outside world, these Americans say. Nor can the truth come out except gradually and by stealth and for excellent reasons. The first and most obvious of these is an ironclad censorship more severe than Germany has ever known except in wartime. Now, keep in mind, this is 1933. You remember 1937 was the year Hitler was on the cover of Time magazine as the most popular politician in the world. This is 1930. He's been in power for less than a year. I read this and I think, okay, what if Trump did hold on to the White House? Not only, back to the New York Times, not only are all outgoing dispatches from accredited correspondents subjected to the closest scrutiny and passed only when certain objectionable subjects are either untouched or treated so innocuously that Nazi susceptibilities will not be offended thereby, but the sources of all information unfavorable to Nazi interests have dried up. You'll recall Adolf Hitler referred to the press in Germany as the Lügenpresse, the lying press. The fake news. The article continues. Virtually the entire socialist as well as the communist press in Germany is now prohibited. The centrist and neutral press is published under the shadow of instant suppression should it include even the smallest term objectionable to the official rulers. Germans are forbidden to impart information to foreigners with the result that none dares to visit, receive, or communicate by telephone with the foreign news writers. Telephone communications are tapped, and even the cafes and restaurants are full of Nazi spies and eavesdroppers. The official Wolf Telegraph Bureau is said to now be wholly in Nazi hands. It was sort of like, you know, the, the AP of the day. And the other news agencies are not sending out anything but the most innocuous items. Police reports have become worthless. In fact, the police, where they do not ignore the Nazi outrages, actually cooperate with them under the pretext of maintaining law and order. This is Germany, March 20, 1933, the New York Times, front page. The government, meaning the National Socialists, control of all news sources and publication outlets. Incidentally, it forbids even mention of the reasons for which any newspaper is suspended has resulted in the promulgation of what even the Germans are said to regard as transparent fictions. Thus, all the outrages, all the violence now committed by persons 
quote, masquerading in Nazi uniforms or, quote, professing to be Nazis, end quote. There is, of course, the New York Times notes, neither masquerading nor pretense. And the fiction, American Visitors Report, deceives no one in Germany. But it does maintain the spirit of Adolf Hitler's recent commands to his followers not to refrain from violence. Is this where we're going? Keep in mind, this is 1933. This, you know, this was even before Lindbergh was defending Hitler with the American First Movement. Holy cow. When do we learn from history? And stop burning or banning books. Linda in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Hey, Linda, what's on your mind today? Hey, I was just listening about the book burning. It's not just about that. My daughter's a teacher, mm-hmm. and she says that when they did the um, e-learning, that parents started sitting next to them listening and then saying, your teacher said this, your teacher said that. The area she teaches in is, is very Republican, and they are watching these teachers and trying to trip them up. My daughter said critical race is not taught in the school, but now you're even afraid to mention slavery or any kind of thing that a kid can go back to their parents and say they talked about slavery, even if you're putting it in the context of truth. I wonder, Linda, and, and I'm uncertain about it, frankly. Uh, I wonder if all of this focus on explicitly stopping any discussion in our public schools about our racial history is, you know, what, what is the long-term effect of this going to be? Are the Republicans going to be successful at changing the educational structure of the schools across America so that basically we no longer talk about race, we no longer teach race, and uh, you know, therefore their their you know white republic can live again, you know, like in the 1950s, and eventually you know push black people out of you know public schools and out of the neighborhoods and out of the workplace and everything else, which I think is frankly is their end goal, or. Are these young people going to say, what the hell? They don't want me to learn what? And, you know, and they're and and it's going to get around. And, and, you know, 10 years from now, you're going to have a whole generation of school kids or 15 years from now who actually know a hell of a lot more about race than most all the rest of us combined. What do you think? Well, I just want to say, yeah, I just want to say when my daughter said she went, she went to college and she's 40. When she went to college, she found out who Christopher Columbus was. And she said, I was so mad that I felt lied through to all my life that this was the man who discovered America and he was wonderful and all that. And he was horrible. Yeah, yeah, you know, he was a a racist slave trader. Right, right. I got to move along, but thank you for the call. Appreciate it. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. 
You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. I'll be picking up your phone calls in just a wee little bit here. But I did want to share with you my rant for today. It's uh, over at HartmanReport.com. It's our daily rant. It's titled, Is the New GOP Southern Strategy Civil War and Bloodshed and a Return to Leave it to Beaver? Let me just walk through this stuff, okay? All but two Republicans in the House of Representatives went on record saying it's okay to openly encourage the assassination of one of your fellow members of Congress, particularly, apparently, if they're a member of Congress who is also a person of color. And that part about Representative Ocasio-Cortez not being white and being the victim of Paul Gosar's uh, little video, I think it's really the core of the issue. Uh, because Republicans are now openly referring to her and the women of color who call themselves the squad as the so-called jihad caucus, as in Muslim terrorists, as in the other. Earlier in the day, the uh, infamous anti-Semite and racist Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene called on her followers to prepare for war because, quote, Joe Biden didn't win the 2020 election, end quote, and, quote, the only way you get freedom back after you've lost it is with the price of blood, end quote. You know, we've heard this kind of rhetoric before. We heard it leading up to the Civil War, Stonewall Jackson in March of 1861, gave a speech to the Virginia Military Institute. He said, the time for war has not yet come, but it will come, and that soon. And when it does come, my advice is to draw the sword and throw away the scabbard. And sure enough, within a matter of months, Americans were killing other Americans. You know, Jackson and his ilk frequently try to pretend that the Civil War wasn't about maintaining the right of white people to enslave black people and others uh, but, you know, their, their proclamations of secession kind of betray them. They come right out and say it. No matter how much Republicans and even some white Democrats want to try to pretend that the major difference between the Democratic and Republican Party, the major difference, by the way, that the Republican Party is selling to the American people, no matter how much they try to pretend it's not race, it is. It's race. And that's only a small part of a much larger racial political strategy that the Republican Party has been all about since the 1960s. You know, there was a time in America when straight white people lived in nice, comfortable white bubbles. I grew up in one in, in the 1950s. The most, you know, in quotes, exotic people that I knew in my neighborhood were Jewish. And I didn't even realize that they were any different than the rest of us, you know, in anybody's mind until I probably was 12, 13 years old. I mean, you know, the only people of color that we saw growing up in, in southern Lansing, Michigan, the south part of Lansing, were on TV. The milkman was a white guy. The delivery people were white people. The mailman was a, was a white guy. The, and, and the non-white people that I saw on TV as a kid in the 1950s were 100% of the time either portrayed as villains, as bad guys, or as buffoons. 
and gay people? I mean, you know, we didn't even talk about Liberace's sexuality. No, no. Mom was in the kitchen or pregnant and she knew her place. Not, not so much speaking of my own mother, although, you know, in many ways she kind of fell into that. Uh, one white man with a union job could raise a family without debt beyond a mortgage and a car payment. And people of color need not apply for that particular part of the American dream. This is the straight white world that today's GOP wants to take America back to. They're all but shouting it with their make America great again rhetoric. You know, when it's not a coincidence, for example, when the family of Dr. Seuss pulled six of his books out of print, that those were the only six of his books that had these horrible racist stereotypes in them. And it's no coincidence that when that happened, the Republicans went nuts. What? You're going to get rid of racist stereotypes? Can't do that. I mean, when, when I studied American history in elementary school back in the 1950s, I learned that Christopher Columbus was a great man, you know, who, who defied the conventional wisdom that there were monsters at the edge of the earth and set off to find a new golden land for white people to occupy. Right. Somebody called into the program to say how pissed off she was when she went to college back in the 60s and discovered that Christopher Columbus was actually, you know, a slaver, a, 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 a child trafficker, and a rapist. We also learned in the 50s in school that the slave masters, particularly our founding fathers, were really, really nice and thoughtful people who took good care of the poor, uneducated, primitive folks that they had under their care. Right? To this day, there are still some textbooks in America that emphasize how slaveholding white people generously provided not only housing, food, and clothing, but medical care for their charges. Republicans today want to go back to that type of history lesson for their children. They dress it all up with fancy language about critical race theory. But the bottom line is, they don't want their kids to grow up knowing that black people and people of all races are just like all the rest of us, are just like white people. It, it, the difference is the pigment in their skin, and that's it. They don't want their children to know that. They want them to think that race defines some huge category of otherness. You know, it, after the Brown v. Board decision, you, you had one Virginia county that went five years without a public school opening. When these people are talking about critical race theory, what they're really saying is they want to resegregate our schools. And after 54, there was this explosion of religious schools and private academies. And, you know, this continued right up through Betsy DeVos being Secretary of Education. Let's promote these basically white-only uh, schools. And by the way, American schools today are more racially segregated than they were in 1968, which is pretty shocking when you consider it. This is how Republican white supremacists think. And if it sounds outrageous, you know, that, that their, their idea that, you know, the white children should be taught that this country is for white people and, you know, it's Anglo-Saxon and it's all Christian and all that sort of thing. And that everybody who's not white, whether it's Native Americans who we slaughtered or African Americans who were brought over in chains or Mexicans whose land we also stole or Asians who we excluded from immigration, that they're basically subhuman. That's the message of the GOP. You know, the news media sanitized the Virginia election. They said that uh, Republican Youngkin won on education issues. That's patently false. He won on racism. 
And it's damn well time that the media start pointing this out. It took them three years to start calling Trump's lies lies. When are they going to start calling Republican Party racism racism? I mean, this is, this is not ancient history. We don't have to go back to 1619 or 1776 or 1861 to talk about this. When I was a kid, Richard and Mildred Loving were rousted from their wedding bed, literally their honeymoon, by police for the crime of getting married. He was white, she was black. They were sentenced to a year in prison. That conviction was overturned and, and uh, interracial marriage was legalized in the United States in 1967. In 19, and, and, you know, race has also always permeated politics. And what's at the core of politics? Voting. I went off on this yesterday, I believe. In 1993, there wasn't a single state in the union that required ID to vote. You had to show ID when you registered to vote. And then you put your signature on file. And when you came to vote, you would sign the paper and they would compare the signatures. And that's, by the way, the most secure way to do it, because you can't fake a signature, especially when somebody's watching you do it. You can get a fake ID for 50 bucks, but you can't fake a signature. But then in 1993, the, the Motor Voter Act passed. Democrats pushed this through Congress that said that states could sign people up to vote at the same time they signed them up for their driver's license. The Republicans went nuts saying, oh, all these brown people, these illegals from Mexico are going to start voting now that they've got their driver's licenses. No, it never happened. They never showed up. But you've got, you know, uh, 40 states now that require ID or more that require ID to vote. You know, just laying layers of difficulty on top of the voting. And, you know, Republicans are using this political power that they get from skewing elections this way to, uh, you know, try to promote this whole, this whole, uh, ra the, the racial stereotypes that they are so in love with. And, and, and the, here's the thing. A Democrat has not won the white vote in the United States for president of the United States since Lyndon Johnson. Lyndon Johnson was the last Democrat who won the white vote in America, something that's very rarely discussed. Carter lost the white vote, Clinton lost the white vote, Obama and Biden all lost the white vote in America. This is referred to as the Southern strategy. This was what Richard Nixon rolled out in 1968. And it's becoming increasingly obvious that, you know, this, this is their goal. This is, you know, is, is to tear America apart along the lines of race and use that to win elections. Period. And, it's, and, it's, and, and, and it even goes beyond that. I mean, here in Oregon, we had five counties that just voted to join Idaho because they're rural, almost entirely, and probably in some cases, entirely white counties, so-called red counties, Trump counties. And, you know, they want to join, join Idaho, leave Oregon. Oh, we're going we to leave those liberals. It's not going to work, though. America is one country. And, you know, culture is inexorably changing. And the challenge is over this period of time now until a, a meaningful transition where you've got people like Marjorie Taylor Greene trying to gin up a civil war. 
You know, there are genuinely patriotic Americans who know that this is one country. Eat pluribus unum, out of many, one. That our diversity is our strength. And the racist and violence, racism and violence that have become the Republican Party's brand are dying. Now, I realize it seems like they're on the, on the rise in, in the media, yeah, and the guys running around with guns, yeah, but, but I think America is, is, is waking up. I think these racist Republicans are outliers. There's a new poll from the Marquette Law School that found only 28% of all Americans think that Donald Trump should run for president in, in three years. Only 28%, although it's a majority, 60% are Republicans. But those racist Republicans are the outliers. If we want democracy and decency to ultimately prevail, we have a hell of a lot of work to do. But don't lose faith. As Winston Churchill said, never give up. Terry in Ventura, California. Hey, Terry, what's on your mind today? Thanks for watching Free Speech. Hi, Tom. Thank you. What a great rant you just did, Tom. You were awesome, okay? Thank you. My topic is very related to what you just said, Tom, uh, voting rights. I'm so frustrated, uh, like for, what, uh, three years now, we were told to contribute to the Democratic Defense Fund that Eric Holder was to fight to protect voting rights and uh, to prevent redistricting. Tom, the election is today. It's now. The politicians are choosing their electorate. Uh, Omaha, Louisville, Salt Lake City, they are gerrymandering that they will be possible like the Democrats. There will be maybe four to six uh, Democratic seats lost in Texas and um, Texas in North Carolina. My, my question, uh, this needs to be fought in the courts now. What is Eric Holder doing? My point, uh, yes, uh, the Roberts Court struck down the ability of the DOJ to review racist intent right. in the legislatures. County. Right. But my question, here's my question. Okay, let's say you are a voter in one of these affected districts and your vote is being diluted by somebody way out in the hinterland, not related to your own community. Why can't we have uh, court challenges uh, by those affected voters saying, you are neutering my vote? Uh, what, what's the point of me voting? <laughs> I have no impact. Yeah. Why can't citizens uh, challenge that on uh, I, I believe uh, the whole. I believe the Roberts Court said that uh, individuals can challenge in court, but uh, the re- review by the uh, DOJ is uh, was taken out. But we can still use organizations to challenge that by losing our vote. Is that not right? It is right. There are challenges going on in courts, and uh, I can't speak for for uh, Attorney General Holder. He's been on this program before. We can invite him back. I'd, I Actually, I'd love to hear his thoughts on, you know, what's going on on redistricting. And I'm also guessing that, you know, we've got a real serious deadline problem here, Terry. Um, I, you know, Texas, you'll recall, not only did a, a wildly gerrymandered map, but they pushed it through their legislature really fast so that the governor could sign it into law. And I think that's because there's this provision in the Constitution. Now, this is just my speculating on this. Uh, let me make this very clear. And if anybody, you know, if I'm wrong on this and, you, and you're a lawyer or a constitutional expert and you know that, please, please let us know. Uh, you know, tweet it to me or call. But my understanding is that the, the, there's a provision in the Constitution that there shall be no ex post facto laws. In other words, you cannot pass a law that changes something that has happened in the past or that renders it illegal. If it was legal when it was done in the past, you can't go back. 
And so my sense of it is that a lot of these states are rushing to do their redistricting out of fear that Joe Manchin might go along with drilling a hole in the in the uh, filibuster so that, you know, his voting rights bill, which includes restrictions on gerrymandering, will pass. And that will make it harder for these Republican states going forward to do this. So we'll see. I, I could be wrong on that, Terry, but I don't think I am. And I, I agree with you. I think it's a fire, five alarm fire. And, and we need to be very, very, very concerned about it. Um, I, I think it's a virtual certainty we're going to lose the House, for example, next year, simply because of this one single issue, not because more people are going to be voting for Republicans. By the way, uh, something that I thought was mind-boggling, and I should probably edit my, uh, my op-ed today to include this uh, during the upcoming break, is that uh, a dozen, if I'm remembering correctly, actually I've got the, uh, yeah, about a dozen Republicans literally stood beside Paul Gosar during the uh, censure hearings. Two Republicans voted to censure him. About a dozen literally stood with him. It doesn't get any weirder than that. Mike in Detroit, Michigan. Hey, Mike, what's on your mind today? Is this Tom? It is. You're on the air. All right, Tom, I've got three quick questions for you, actually. All right, that Congress, that representative you were talking to, Pocan, he said uh, they, they've got to pass the bill before they're going to post it online so we can see what's in it. What happened to the Obama rule? They, once they, it's done, they put it online or put it out there for three days so people can view it. Yeah. That, that just I, guarantee, me I guarantee you, Mike, that you know, long before this bill, first of all, parts of the most of the Build Back Better bill has been online for a long, long time, and uh, because mostly it is a cobbling together of other pieces of legislation. And uh, by the way, you get one question when you call, um, and, and 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 it's going to be a while before it gets to the Senate, so not to worry. But uh, go over to WhiteHouse.gov; you can find out what's there. Jessica in Chicago. Hey, Jessica, what's on your mind? Oh. Love you. Yes, I thought that it was so grotesque that those 13 congressmen stood behind him. That was disgusting. But I also called because I thought of you when I saw the photo of the what the AK-15 did to that medic's arm that Kyle shot off. Mm-hmm. His arm dangling, his muscles hanging out. It looked like a T-Rex took a bite out of his arm. Yeah. And if I, if I was on that jury, guilty. And I would never, I would be a holdout. I would never accept anything other than a guilty verdict because I remember how you say you have to show, like, how they stopped a lot of people from smoking. You have to show the results. Right. Of all this awful, awful stuff. Yeah, I'm with you, Jessica. Speaking the truth, the multinational corporations and big pharma would really rather you didn't know. We'll be right back. Yeah, 
And uh, welcome back. Boy, an awful lot going on here. And uh, But uh, Lily in Sacramento, California. Hey, Lily, what's on your mind? You wanted to speak about my uh, rant about racism and the GOP? Yes, I did. Well, not necessarily the GOP. I, I uh, grew up on, uh, in uh, New York mm-hmm. and uh, Long Island, very racist area, you know, similar to the history of Oregon. And uh, I was probably about... Well, I grew up in the 50s, and I was probably about four years old, and uh, my parents took me to Jones Beach, and I had never seen a person of color before, mm-hmm. and I was, I was four years old. I knew that I hadn't gone to kindergarten yet, right. and I saw kids that were chocolate-colored. And I thought that was the neatest thing that I had ever seen in my life. And I immediately started playing with them, splashing around in the water, having a great time. And my mother yanked me away and said, you don't play with them. Mm-hmm. And so I just wanted to say, you know, racism is learned. I agree. It's taught. You know, I, I'm, And these people want to keep teaching it, by the way. that's the bottom line you know that's why they're yelling at school boards yeah yeah it's uh it's really unfortunate because i mean people don't start out being racist yeah and it's it's just so sad and i I just wanted to kind of bring that up because i remember that and i was four years old yeah you know because i was shocked and i asked my mom well why and she said you just don't yeah yeah it's it's uh you know I don't have experiences like that. My parents were, uh, I guess, liberals for the day, uh, for their era. Oh, you're lucky. Yeah, uh, I, I really am. I mean, you know, I really am. Yeah. My, my, my father, uh, you know, the, the, I, in fact, one of the few times I've seen my father get really angry was when one of my brothers used a racial slur, um, but, uh, you know, that he had just picked up from the next door neighbor. Um, all my brothers yeah, are much younger than mine were really, me. really conservative. As a matter of fact, my dad went as Barry Goldwater one Halloween. <laughs> yeah. Well, my dad you know, and I went door to door for Barry Goldwater in 1964, but that was kind of the end of it for me. Anyhow, Lily, thank you for sharing your story. I, I, I truly appreciate it. And, and, and it, it takes a lot of courage to you know, go on national radio and share a story like that. Thank you, Lily. Paul in Lucerne, California. Hey, Paul, what's on your mind? Mike, I think we're going to take the midterms. And the you think, you think is, the Democrats are going to win the House in 2022? Yeah, and I phone bank every Sunday mm-hmm. for the California Democrats. And I called over 400 voters to get them to vote for the governor. Good on you, Paul. And 37, 37% said they weren't going to vote because of the insurrection, nothing being done about it. Well, I called last Sunday. Just one thing. The Steve Bannon... That lit a fire under people. Oh, interesting. And plus, I was selling i was selling something way better than voting for this crappy Democrat that stood up in Virginia. I was selling the Freedom to Vote Act. Mm-hmm. Everybody was really for that. But I now I phone bank for the California Democrats. I'm in the California Democratic Party. And we, we have this phone banking stuff pretty well dialed down. Everybody does, you know, mm-hmm. with all this categorizing stuff. Three Democrats told me they believe only white people should be allowed to vote. 
Wow. Sunday. Okay. So we have some craziness going on right now. Oh, and the reason why I think we're going to win is they're going to be standing up chewing on Republicans. They're doing the same thing they did with the Tea Party. They're doing to the QAnons, doing to the, to the Republican. Right. They're, they're down at the PC committee level taking it over. So they're going to stand up crazy people. And when you get into that booth, you can either vote for a crazy Republican or you're going to vote for a Democrat that's going to fix something. They're going to vote Democrat. Republican Party is no longer equal to the Democratic Party. Way more people are registered Democrat. More people are registered independent than Republican right now. Right. Trump Basically. cut the Republican Party in half. So we actually find ourselves in an envious position of actually having independence on our side. Normally that's what costs us elections. Yeah. But I think this time the independents will, will push us over the top because they're not going to participate in QAnon. Well, Paul, uh, you know, tip of the hat to you for your for your persistent phone banking, and thanks again for for again sharing you know with, with our listeners and viewers that that you're doing that and that people can do that with their local Democratic Party because it's, it's such easy. important stuff. Yeah, it's easy. It's and I've and sent out plenty of links. Move on if you don't want to be with a party. Move on. Yeah, or indivisible. Indivisible organizes this stuff yeah. too. I mean, there's a uh, yeah. our revolution, uh, Progressive Democrats of America. There's all kinds of groups that I'm not sure if they're specifically doing was, phone banking. But that was Bernie Sanders' first campaign. Yeah, yeah. No, and and and, 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 awesome and they're still out there. And and the the um, I think the really important thing or the really cool thing is you know for people who feel like they've been disempowered or they're worried about the future or they're you know they wake up in the middle of the night going oh my god you know or is is going to be fascist or something. Doing something is the most single most therapeutic thing that can happen. I mean, you know, my coming in here and doing this show every day is my therapy. It's like you do something, you know, and, and what you're doing, Paul, you know, making phone calls, knowing that you're having an impact. That's powerful, powerful stuff, not just politically, but also personally. You want to testify? Thank you. Yeah, I, I strongly <laughs> believe since I got into the fight, I sleep better. I feel better. That's great. Paul, thank you very much for the call, and, and thanks for, for keep up the great work. Fred in LaPorte, Indiana. Hey, Fred, what's on your mind today? Yeah, Tom, along with your rant, uh, you're talking about what the Republicans are trying to go back to, but I, I'm going to say a little bit about the labor movement. Okay. When I come into the labor movement in the late 50s and early 60s, there was 33% union labor. Now I think it's down to 5 to 7%. It's 6% of the private workforce, yeah. Okay. So they've destroyed the unions, basically. Yeah, that was Reagan's project. Yeah, yeah. And uh, now they're getting to where the big business guy says, here's how much we're going to pay you. And this is what, what they did in the, from the 1900s up through the 30s. That's correct. They, paid, they got the people, they paid them just what they needed to get by, and that's all. And that's what they're trying to do now. That's why two people have to work in every family. Yep. Now, I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm an old union man, so uh, I'm, I'm uh, kind of biased, I guess, in that situation. But now we got people going to college. Who could go to college back in the 20s and 30s? Not the working man, the rich people's kids. Yeah. And that's just exactly what's happening again now. We're slipping back in history. It's uh, like the philosopher George Santana said that uh, those who do not learn history tend to repeat it. Yep. Exactly what the, uh, the uh, Republican Party is trying to do with the labor movement, plus a lot of other things. Uh, strikes, they didn't call them strikes. 
back in the 20s and 30s. They called them riots, and they called out the National Guard to break them up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, and a few people were killed. You know that. Yeah. And these these riots, they called them. So yep. the government was in the back pocket of, of the big money, which uh, they are now, I think. Yeah. Uh, the Republicans used to have a saying, we give the we give breaks and tax breaks to big business, it will have a trickle-down effect. Well, they don't say that anymore because they know it's a lot of bull hockey. And uh, it's just just the, the things that they're doing to to make the working man work harder. We had, if you watch the History Channel, you talk, they talk about J.P. Morgan, uh, Andrew Carnegie, Vanderbilt, Rockefeller, Ford. They, yeah, they built America on the backs of the poor working man. Yep, you're absolutely I right. That's all I got. Uh, I well, you I, said it very well, and, and it's why we need unions back. It's why we need the PRO Act back, uh, you know, which I was ranting about last week. But uh, I'm, I'm with you, Fred. Thank you. Thank you very much for the call. Rachel in Seattle. Hey, Rachel, what's up? There was a gentleman who spoke earlier, and he has a, a winery. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's something interesting that, that kind of gets left out on things like that. And I grew up family business. But the irony is you've got the wine property that's got um, the business pays taxes on all property relevant. It includes home. It's living on the same property. Then soil known to weekend gardeners, just like the stuff they use the farms for everywhere. This is part of the whole gentleman farmer. I live surrounded by them on an island, living on beautiful property, even if a few miles off the beaten path, which does nothing but further raise property value minute by minute, giving it more than enough value to nail another business loan. It's, so is is this a, a, a Rachel? Is this a rant against wineries? I don't understand what you're saying. What I'm saying is, there's a lot of people who are upper middle income, and they're or in very good shape, and they're have all these financial breaks, and all they can remember is that it had to pay for it. And I grew up small business, and that's how everything is done. Yeah, I'm. I, I, you know, I'm not with you, Rachel. I'm sorry. I'm not. I'm not going to trash a small vineyard, you know, that was built from scratch, you know, by by a family over time with a considerable amount of risk associated with it, um, and, because they might be raising local property values. I mean, any yeah. kind of business that goes into that area, particularly a business that produces employment, is going to raise property values. No, 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 no. That's not what I meant. But I guess I'm not making sense. Um, no. I, at the least I'm not is, understanding what you're saying. You have to have money to make money. Not always. And seriously? Yeah, you can make money by getting a job. That's not making money. That's getting a job. Well, I'm talking private business. Okay, you don't have to make have money to make money. I have started three businesses with nothing. One, I started with a fifteen thousand dollar line of credit on my American Express card. It took me a year to pay it off. Another, mm-hmm. I started with absolutely nothing. I mean, you know, it was, I, I was on unemployment at the time, which I suppose is technically illegal. But, you know, I, yeah, I, started, I started a business in my bedroom and, uh, you know, an herbal tea company and, and built it up. And we eventually had 18 people work. I got off unemployment very quickly. <laughs> but, but, you know, you don't have to have money to start something. You have to be willing to put time and effort in to start something. In fact, I, I, I don't think that I've ever started a business with, you know, venture capital or anything like that. I mean, it's...
You can make money without loans. It's a wonderful thing, too. Helping you win the water cooler wars. I'll be right back. Stick around. Santa Cruz. Hey, David, what's up? Hello, Tom. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I wanted to ask you a question about climate disruption. We have witnessed a huge failure at the COP26 conference, in my estimation, with the lack of commitments for reducing our carbon footprint worldwide. Now, what I've been hearing from a lot of progressives, Tom, is that we should be putting in place a carbon tax that would place a fee on the producers of carbon that would then be distributed in the form of a dividend back to people. I find this a a really horrible idea and wonder what you think about the idea of rationing like we did in World War II to make sure the billionaires can't use up um, our precious resources for things like second homes, yachts, and that kind of things, private airplanes. What do you think? I think the carbon tax with the fee rebate to low-income people so that, you know, when the price of gas goes up or heating oil goes up, they, they're getting back more than it's costing them is actually a good thing, David. I, I support that. I, I don't understand why you would oppose it. it w- it's a market solution. It would, it would alter the dynamics of the marketplace considerably. I mean, right now, solar and wind are less expensive in more than 90% of the North American landmass than than our fossil fuels and this would make it even more so i'll tell you why i oppose it there's there's um probably the biggest reason is that it's regressive tax Uh, the businesses are going to pass the cost of everything on the consumers now if you look at the price of gas already and how that's impacting working families imagine what's going to happen if you put place a carbon tax and make it high enough so that it actually puts a cramp on demand, but you're still allowing the rich, privileged people to do whatever they want to do. They well, don't they'll, mind. They'll do whatever. I, so I, so it's, re, it's a regressive tax. Yeah, but it's That's a, one thing. And then the other thing, Tom, real quick, is that this idea of a rebate. So how are people going to pay when they can barely cover the expenses they have right now, waiting for the government to send them a rebate check back? You tell me, how does that work? Well, you do it as a tax credit, and you give them a, you give them a check every month, just like they're doing right now with the child tax credit where every month you get 300 bucks in the mail or directly deposited into your checking account. Um, but it, let me turn this around, David. Give me one example of a time when rationing has, has, has you know, worked out as a, as a successful way of reallocating uh, activity within, a, within the marketplace. Well, uh, World War II is a perfect prime example. I mean, we had shortages of a lot of things, and we were rationing them. We had to uh, because we were on war footing because it was a crisis. But we don't have shortages of fossil fuels right now. Well, no. My point is that in using fossil fuels, we are killing the planet. We're killing our future. And uh, we found out that um, the average person in the United States emits enough uh, carbon uh, every single year uh, to kill two people worldwide. So when you look at it that from that point of view and the fact that the scientists were clear that we have to substantially reduce our emissions, 
now, if you look at it that way, you're basically giving permission to kill. And so I think, you know, having I, I, I think your logic is a little place. circular. And, I, and, I, and if you're concerned about the average working person, uh, how are they going to do when you say, I'm sorry, you've exceeded your gas ration this week. You can't go to work anymore. I mean, it's it just I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not buying it respectfully. David, David, thank you for the call. And welcome back. So, you know, are we going to hold the house? Are we going to lose the house? Nicholas at San Cristobal, you want to weigh in on the debate or the concern? Well, you or just said, yes, I do. I keep calling you about Thomas Edsel's articles in the New York Times. Did you read this morning's article by him? I have not. His opinion piece? No. Oh, my God. He lists, I think it's the five primary reasons why, the pre you know, when we hold the presidency or the House or the Senate in the given term, that the opposition party tends to gain houses. He goes through a list of five, any one of which would uh, indicate that the Dems are going to leave. He clicks off all five of these reasons. Critical race theory, which is basically just, you know, the boogeyman racism. of yeah. racism up there and the whole thing. Um, the fact that we are in power and, and Dems are apt to lose. He goes through this whole list and he says there's no way the Dems are going to not only hold the House, but we're going to lose it bigly. Mm. And it was just so depressing. I hope he is wrong, of course. But uh, reading it was just shocking, just yeah. shocking. Yeah, I think and, he's probably I mean, right. He, he I mean, just, it, so just, many things. just because, if nothing else, uh, Nicholas, because of uh, uh, gerrymandering. I mean, yes, it's, that it's, was one of the reasons, of yeah, course. Yeah. And uh, it's a big one. The, the other statistics that you, the statistic you threw out earlier just stunned me, and I had known it but forgotten that uh, there had not been a white majority vote for president since uh, Johnson. That is just so shocking, but but there we there we are. that's it in a nutshell, isn't it? It that's really is. On. It really is. The Nixon yeah, Southern strategy so was successful. He brought the Southern racists totally. in, the white racists, and now he's you know, yeah. and then Trump came along. Uh, you know, in the in the article, yeah. I say that uh, you know Nixon prepared the house, the new house for the homeless racists who got kicked out of the Democratic oh Party when LBJ signed the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act. Nixon right. built the house. Yeah. Reagan fluffed right. up the pillows, and Trump stands out front oh. with a bullhorn and a whites only sign. Uh, you know, it's it's like with his own pillow man. Yeah, to boot. exactly. Not only fluffed pillows, but a pillow. Listen, can I? Would you give me thirty seconds to just rant on something Certainly. about the the price gouging on pharmacies? I was I was talking with a a, a chatter. At, you know, I'm odd for the chat room, right. and one of the chatters is using the same inhaler I use for my COPD to the same purpose. He's paying five. Well, the taxpayers are paying $510 for his inhaler. I'm paying 40 four zero here in Mexico, made by the same German company. It's the identical product, the same amount of grams in it. 510 versus 40 That's wow. just shy of 13 times. That's 1,300%. And listen, they're making a perfectly nice profit here in Mexico, or... They would not be selling it. You're right. You're absolutely right. I am yeah, so no, we, we are. I, I can barely. No, you should. You should check out. Uh, go to DailyPoster.com. You know David Sirota's website. And today's yeah, sure. today's rant is about how big pharma poured 
millions of dollars down the throats of a handful of members of Congress, including Kurt, Sch Kurt Schrader right. here from Oregon, Kirsten Sinema from Arizona. Sure. And in exchange sure. for that, they have already saved over $400 billion. Dollars. Billion, billion. Yeah, that they will I continue to extract but I could, but I from, get it off from average Americans. Well. $400 billion. Dollars, almost a half a trillion. It's it, mind-boggling. It's not just off average Americans. It's you and me. It's every taxpayer. We are being so screwed. Yeah, yeah, I got you it. Know, when will people stand up and, and really, you know, raise holy hell over this? this you know, and if the Republicans get back in, if Edsel's correct, well... Oh, you should be here in the United States right now, Nicholas. There's there's ads running on TV with this with this uh, older woman saying, uh, you know, countries that control drug prices and access to them, oh, no. um, you know, oh, no. uh, are killing people like me. Well, you know, nobody is suggesting that America should control access to drugs, just the prices. No. So it's a very disingenuous right. ad. You know, the countries that control prices and access. Really? Oh, what a shocker. Really? Yeah, Ingenuousness? Yeah. Now, that is truly shocking. Yeah, you can't have really ingenuous ads. Nicholas, i got to move along. But thank you for the call. Good talking to you. Thank you. Uh, uh, whoops. Uh, oh, somehow I, I locked down all these calls. I don't, I don't know why. Uh, Maddie in Idaho Falls, Idaho. Hey, Maddie, what's on your Bye -bye. mind? Thanks, Nicholas. Oh, this is Madi. Oh, Madi, well, okay. My question is, have we ever been energy efficient, meaning oil? Another one would be... The prices are going up. Are these corporations, can they be, like, lower their prices? I um, heard one guy said if they take the taxes off of them, but what's stopping them from still raising their prices? You know, This is the, so, this is the problem, Maddie, that Robert Reich identified over at robertreich.com, I think, or .org is his website. And... He lays out this thing that the, the, one of the main drivers of inflation right now is the fact that there's no more competition in the American business landscape. Virtually every industry, whether it's cell phones, whether it's Internet, whether it's airplane, you know, f flights, whether it's hotels, whether it's food in a restaurant, whether it's uh, building supplies. Um, I mean, you just pick an industry, right? that they are all, ev virtually every industry in America is now dominated by fewer than five companies, more than 80% of the industry. That's what you really? call an ol oligopoly or, you know, in popular terms, a monopoly. And because of that, these companies are not facing competition. So they've, they give them a small excuse to raise prices like, oh, gee, our workers are asking for more or, hey, there's a shortage or something. And they'll just jack them up as high as they can. The average American family pays $5,000 a year more for all the stuff we buy throughout the course of the year than does the average Canadian family or European family just because we allow monopoly here in the United States. This goes back to 1983 when Ronald Reagan instructed the Department of Justice and the Federal Trade Commission to stop enforcing the antitrust laws. And no president since then has enforced those laws. And we need to go back to that. We need to go back to strict enforcement of our antitrust laws. Hey, special thanks to Louise Hartman, Sean Taylor, Nate Atwell, Jamie Ha, and Nate's going to be back, right, next week, hopefully, in the studio. He's working remote because his partner has had COVID. Jamie Holly, Joyce the Hammer, Nance, Nigel Peacock, Sue Nethercutt, Patrick Hoyt, Gerilyn Halbert, Ron Hartenbaum, Chase Sprouse, Nicholas Miller, Pat Sweeney, Jabbermocky, Jay LeBlanc, Connor Arroyo, and Carnivore. All the folks who help make this show work. Thank you to all of you. Thank you to you 
for listening, watching, however you're getting our program, and for sharing the good word and for acknowledging our advertisers and our, our uh, stations and whatnot. Thank you. We'll see you on Monday. Get out there, get active, tag, you're it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 